0: Hey, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Hey, good to see you all. Uh, really excited to be with you. Uh, my name is John Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to see you all here, um, but also excited to continue our series in the Gospel of John this morning. One of the things that I love more than anything in the world is being a dad. I have three boys, Wyatt, Jonah, and Silas. And so anybody who has three boys, even if you have two boys, even if you have one boy, you know it's crazy, right? Like having three boys, our house is wild. My boys are wild. But one of the things that I love to do is play with them. We wrestle. They call me the tickle monster because I run around and I tickle them and we're doing all kinds of stuff have fun and wrestle. We turn the house into a jungle gym and we're jumping on furniture, turning into a trampoline. Sorry, Marika, breaking all the household rules. And I love that they run to the door and greet me when I get home and they wanna play, they wanna play, they wanna play. One of my favorite things to do with them is have them climb up on something and then jump to me. But as wild as they are, my boys are also vulnerable. Because kids are vulnerable. And so, for a moment before they jump, they hesitate because they ask themselves the question Will I be safe? Can I trust that I will be caught? But then my boys hear my voice calling their name. Why it's too old for it now, so it doesn't work. But Jonah, Silas, right? Calling their name. Jonah, Silas, jump to me. They hear their name encouraging them, once they hear me call their name, they know they'll be safe. They trust me, and so they jump. They jump and I catch them, and anybody who's done this with kids, what do they do? Again, 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 right? They, they want you to do it again, and so they climb back up and jump, and I catch them again, 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 climb back up, jump, catch them, repeated over and over again, because they know that I'll protect them. They know that I'll be faithful, and so they trust. Sheep are like kids. They're vulnerable too, and sheep need a shepherd who will catch them. And this morning, as we come to John 10, we will see that you can trust Jesus because he's the good shepherd three ways. He's the protective shepherd, he's the faithful shepherd, and he is the risen shepherd. And so before we dive in, would you pray with me? Jesus, you are good. And we thank you that we get to gather as your people. You are the good shepherd. And I ask that we would see you this morning as beautiful, that we would be compelled by your love, Jesus. So Spirit of God, would you be present among us? Would you speak to us this way and, and, and move in this place this morning? Lord, that your words would be my words. Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you. Would you have your way with us this morning? Amen. So we're picking up in John chapter 10, looking at verse seven here. Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The first thing we see about Jesus in this passage is that he is the protective shepherd who protects his sheep and provides abundant life. So Jesus is saying that he protects the sheep, which this is good news to sheep because sheep have two primary concerns in life. They wanna know where is safety and who can I trust? Jesus now says that he's the door, which is weird. Why is Jesus saying he's a door? That's very weird, right? Jesus says weird things sometimes, but what does he mean by that? See, during that time, shepherding was a common thing. And for shepherds, they would have something called a sheepfold. A sheepfold is like a large enclosure, a pin. And like, think of a fence. But there's only one way to get in, one entry point. There's one opening. And so shepherds were like doors because at night what they would do is when the sheep are all in this fold, in order to protect them, shepherds would lay their bodies in front of the opening so that nothing could get in or out unless it went through them. And so what Jesus is saying is that he is the protective shepherd who lays his body in front of the opening to the sheepfold to protect his sheep. The only way to get in is through him, is through Jesus. We come into his fold through him. And Jesus contrasts himself as a shepherd here. He says that there are thieves and robbers. All of them who have come before him are robbers and thieves. He's talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel, because they were bad shepherds shepherds are supposed to love the sheep. They're supposed to care for the sheep, but they have not done this. And so Jesus refers back to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, chapter 34, Ezekiel prophesies against the shepherds of Israel. And he makes a strong indictment against them. And he says, you have abused the sheep. You have mistreated the sheep. You have not fed them or cared for them. And so Ezekiel prophesies against them. But Ezekiel was talking to the kings in Israel because kings were also shepherds. But here Jesus uses this same language not to talk about kings, but to talk about the Pharisees, these religious leaders. See, He's doing this because we're in John 10. It's directly connected to what preceded in John 9. And if you remember from two weeks ago before Easter, Josh preached on the healing of the blind man in John chapter nine. And this is a continued conversation. And Jesus just witnessed something in John chapter nine. See these Pharisees and religious leaders who are supposed to protect, supposed to love the sheep, one of their own sheep who is blind is healed by Jesus. And what do they do? They expel him from the fold. They kick him out. They tell him to leave, and Jesus actually goes and finds this man. So Jesus is saying, the shepherds who have come before him are thieves and robbers, but he is different. He's a different shepherd because he's come to protect the sheep, and he's come to care for the sheep. And so in verse 9, Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, if you enter the fold through Jesus you experience security and protection because you're constantly under his watch and care. So we think about doors. Doors for us symbolize a sense of security, right? A lot of us have doors on our house that are called security doors, right? There's a sense of security that we get from a door. See, I grew up here and I grew up in a really rough part of town. I grew up in Scottsdale, okay? It's rough, I'm telling you, it's really rough. I grew up in Scottsdale, and uh, it's not rough at all, but uh, I was, uh, when I was younger, I was at our neighborhood park, and I was hanging out with my friend, we're playing, and I get jumped. This big old dude jumps me, and back in the 90s, you wore like these metal like necklace choker things, I don't know, uh, it's the 90s, right? 90s fashion, but the guy is literally choking me with it. And I'm able to slip away. And I start sprinting because it's our neighborhood park. So I'm sprinting home. My adrenaline is rushing. And I still remember the thing that's going through my head the entire time. If I can just get to the front door. This guy's chasing me. And I'm thinking, if I can just get to the front door, I'll be safe. Because there's security that's attached to a door. Jesus says... He is the door for the sheep. He's the door for the sheep to enter and experience security under his care, under his watch. This doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you as a sheep. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is that he, as the shepherd, will never mistreat you like the robbers and thieves who came before. That he will never abuse you like the robbers and thieves who came before. That he is a different kind of shepherd. And unfortunately, these shepherds were religious leaders and many of us have experienced mistreatment and abuse at the hands of religious leaders. But Jesus is different. He's not a thief and robber. He has come to protect. And he not only protects but he also provides for his sheep. When you're in the fold, he provides. He provides and gives the abundant life. See, the the abundant life, we could call it the good life. It's the thing that every single one of us is looking for, that we're trying to find, what is the good life? Where can I find the good life? How can I attain the good life? Every company is trying to sell us the good life. This is a marketing and advertiser's dream, right? Everything is saying, if you buy this, then you will have the good life. If you do this, then you will experience the good life. If you look like this, then you have attained the good life. Everything is trying to sell us the good life because we're all longing for it. We're looking for it. And then we go on social media and we scroll through other people's feeds and it looks like they all have the good life. And we're exhausted because we search and we search and we can't find it. Where are you trying to find the good life, I wonder? Where are you looking to try to attain the good life? Is it in position in your career? Maybe you're trying to climb the ladder. Maybe there's a position that you want. And you think then if you have it, you'll have the good life. Or maybe it's a person, a relationship with someone. Maybe it's marriage that you want to be married to this person and then you'll have the good life. Or it's possessions, the amount of money you have, what you can buy. Can you attain the good life through buying a bunch of things and having a life of comfort and leisure? Or maybe it's a place. It's experiences. It's going places and traveling. And so you're searching and searching and searching for the good life, and you're exhausted. But in your exhaustion, Jesus invites you to enter his fold to enter his fold and experience the abundant life that he provides. The beautiful thing is that he gives it to you freely. You don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to earn the abundant life. Jesus provides it. He gives it to you. See, the abundant life, Jesus says, his sheep will be able to go in and out and find pasture. See, the pasture is the abundant life. It's a life of flourishing. And Jesus is saying, in my pasture, you will have freedom. You will have freedom to roam around. You will have freedom to be in my presence. This is why David writes in Psalm 16, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Because David knows that the abundant life is found in him. The picture that Jesus gives us here is of well-fed sheep content sheep sheep that are flourishing it's the fullness of life that you and i so desperately desire and it is found only in jesus our shepherd the beautiful thing is he gives it to us in the here and now this is not something where jesus dies and so we can have a good life after we die in the afterlife the abundant life is available to us in the here and now it's the abundant life of his kingdom See, but the problem is there are thieves and robbers. In the midst of Jesus' protection, in the midst of his provision for the sheep, there are still thieves and robbers. We've all had stuff stolen from us, right? It's terrible. I remember my car got broken into once and I go out and you're like, oh, my stuff is gone. And you feel so violated, right? Like when someone steals something from me. But see, there are thieves and robbers, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the one thief that is always trying to steal from us. That there is one thief who has a band of robbers who is trying to rob you of experiencing the abundant life that is found in Jesus. The thief is Satan, and his band of robbers are the demonic. And Jesus says that they come only to steal, kill, and destroy. That the only purpose for them coming is to harm you. Their intent is to harm you. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what does he steal? How does he attempt to do this? See, Satan wants to steal your contentment and joy in the fold. He wants to steal your joy behind the door. He wants to make you wander outside of the door, outside of Jesus, to try to find the abundant life. But Jesus is the protective shepherd who provides the abundant life. He doesn't just want to steal, he also wants to kill. What does he want to kill? He wants to kill your trust in the shepherd. He wants to kill your faith in Jesus. He wants to murder it. He wants you to no longer believe in Jesus. There would be nothing that would make him more satisfied. But he doesn't just want to kill your trust in Jesus. He wants to harm you. He wants you dead physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. This is what he does. But Jesus is our protective shepherd who protects the sheep. He steals and he kills, but he also destroys. What does he destroy? He destroys the good, the true, and the and the beautiful. Everything that is good, true, and beautiful in life. He is trying to destroy. This means that he's coming after your marriage. He wants to destroy your marriage that is a picture of the gospel. He wants to destroy families for future generations to come. He wants to destroy your sobriety to make you fall back into the pattern of addiction, the cycle of addiction. He wants to destroy your church community, your local church. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the oneness that Jesus has died for to make us one. How does he do it? He does it through lies, through gossip and slander. That is what he's trying to do. This is what the thief does. Only steals, kills, and destroys. But Jesus is the protective shepherd. You have security when you are in his fold. He protects the sheep, even though Satan and his band of robbers may attack you. They might come after you. They might even steal something from you. The good news is that they can never steal you from Jesus, that his flock is secure. You can never be taken away from Jesus. You are secure in his fold. Where is the thief trying to rob you of the abundant life that Jesus provides? Jesus continues in verse 11, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Second thing we see about Jesus in this passage is that he is the faithful shepherd who never abandons you even at the cost of his own life. Says he's the good shepherd who lays down his life, but he says there's these hired hands. The hired hand is not a shepherd. The hired hand is someone who is hired. Hired. They're in it for their own profit. They say, what can I get? They're not owners, they don't own the sheep. So when I was a teenager, one of my, one of my best friends, his name was Ryan. He got a job at Harkins movie theaters. Um, and uh, he was a hired hand. Definitely did not own Harkins. He wasn't Dan Harkins, um, but he was a hired hand. And as a hired hand, he didn't give a rip about Harkins, right? He he could have cared less. He used Harkins as a way to make a quick buck, put some gas in his car so we could, you know, run amok as teenage boys in the city uh, with a car. And uh, he also used his job as a hired hand at Harkins in order to uh, gain popularity for himself. So he had this little thing. He would invite you. Uh, to the movies whenever he was working, right? And he said, hey, here's what you got to do. I can get all of you in for free, but you got to stand outside and wait because I got to watch to make sure my manager isn't upstairs looking at the surveillance cameras. And you guys are going to go around to the back or the side door, and then I'll open it up and you rush in, right? And so I saw a ton of free movies, it was it was great, right? Uh, but he got fired, obviously, right? Because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about Harkins, and Dan Harkins isn't too happy, uh, and so he got fired. Um, but there's a difference between an owner and a hired hand. Shepherds are owners. Jesus explains that there is a very important difference between shepherds and hired hands, between him and the hired hands, because he says here that when the hired hand sees danger, when the hired hand sees hardship, sees the wolf coming, the hired hand sees it, leaves the sheep, and flees. See, being a shepherd was a very dangerous job. His dues are, are no joke, right? This is a serious, serious gig that they've got themselves into because they're facing beasts and wild animals. They're fighting bears and wolves and mountain lions. I got buddies that are like big into hunting. They go bow hunting or they've got shotguns or whatever kind of guns you shoot animals with. I don't know. Um, but even my buddies that are hunters, like if a bear is charging at them, even if you've got a gun, they're going to be freaked out, Right? These dudes don't have guns. They're literally fighting bears with sticks. Like this is no joke. And so the thing for a shepherd is they've counted the cost. They know that there's a risk, that they are risking their lives for the sheep that they own, but not the hired hand. When the wolf comes, they abandon, they abandon the sheep. They don't want to save the sheep. They want to save themselves. They're they're looking for self-preservation, not self-sacrifice. Because look, they're like, hey, I got this minimum wage job and my life is worth way more than these sheep that aren't even mine. I ain't going down, right? And so they're like, I'm out of here. I'm gone. They're not willing to stick with the sheep through the thick and thin, even if that's what they were hired to do. So there's a difference between a contract and a covenant. If that language is new to you, there's a difference between a transaction and a commitment, especially in relationships, that these hired hands, that this is a contract, this is contractual, this is a transaction for them. They can break off the transaction, they can end it at any time. If it gets too scary, they're out. That's exactly what they're doing. See, there's a difference between that and covenant. I think about the way that I met my wife so uh, I was a hairdresser for 16 years, and I met my wife uh, as her hairdresser. Okay, so all the dudes in here looking for a wife, just well, little pro tip. If you are a male hairdresser, it might increase your, uh, your uh, odds at finding a wife, right? So I found my wife uh, as being her hairdresser. And so the relationship that I had with Marika, my wife, as her hairdresser, It was very different than the relationship that I have with Marika as her husband. Because as a hairdresser, it's a transaction. It's contractual. She comes in, I cut her hair. If she likes it, she'll pay me and she'll come back. Yeah, she was coming back anyways because she liked me, right? Uh, (coughs) um, That's the one person you you might get a free pass if you mess up their hair, right? Um, But the reality is there was a transaction that, that she could end at any time. The difference is now we are married in covenant. We've covenanted together, which means we are together through thick and thin. We will be together no matter what the cost. Like I will lay down our lives for each other. See, Jesus is not transactional with his sheep. Jesus is not contractual with his sheep. He is covenantal. He has committed to his sheep and he will be faithful to his sheep. We are sheep, we're vulnerable, you and I are vulnerable sheep, and many of us have been wounded by hired hands. For many of us, abandonment is our deepest wound, and for others, it's our biggest fear. Maybe you've been abandoned by someone who was supposed to be there for you through the thick and thin. Someone who was supposed to protect you, supposed to love you, supposed to support you no matter what. And when they abandon, that's why it's so painful. That's why it hurts so deep. So I've heard it said that the only thing worse than abandonment is knowing that you're not even worth an explanation because someone just up and left. Maybe for you, it's your father. Your father who left you when you were a child. You've grown up never understanding why, and there's a deep wound. Jesus sees the wound. And he says that he's the faithful shepherd who never abandons you. Or maybe it's your wife, your wife in whom you loved so much, and you made the vows together in covenant till death do us part for better or for worse. And your wife ended up leaving you for someone else. There's a deep wound. Jesus sees your wound and he is the faithful shepherd who doesn't abandon you. Maybe it's in business, your business partner, someone that you went into business with, with hopes and dreams, and that person slandered your name, stabbed you in the back, and they left and took the prophet. Jesus sees your wound. He is the faithful shepherd who doesn't abandon you. Or maybe it was your friends, people that you poured your heart and soul out to, you were vulnerable with, that you thought these were your ride or die people. And then all of a sudden, they started hanging out with other people. And they left you in the dust. And then you see on social media, all these pictures of them hanging out and you're not in any of them. And it's a constant reminder and it reopens the wound of abandonment. See, this is so common in friendships that we even have language for it. It's a, oh, those are just fair weather friends, right? They're in when it's fun and you can party with them, but then when times get hard, they're MIA. Or we even have phrases in our society because abandonment is so, it's so, uh, it, it, it's happened so often, it's so common that we even say things like, well, now I guess I know who my true friends are every one of us has been wounded by hired hands. Who are the hired hands that weren't there for you through the thick and thin? Who are the people that went MIA on you? Jesus sees your wound. He knows your wound. And he wants you to know this today, to hear this today, that Jesus is not a hired hand, that he is not a hired hand. He is the faithful shepherd, that Jesus is better than the hired hand because he cares for the sheep. He is committed to the sheep. He will never abandon you. Jesus never abandons you, even through the darkest times, through thick and thin. He is with you. He's committed to you. Jesus sees the danger coming, the wolf. He sees the danger coming and where the hired hand sees the danger, flees and leaves. Jesus does not see, flee and leave, but Jesus sees, stands and he stays. He stays with the sheep. And when the wolf is coming, Jesus steps in front of the sheep and says, let my body be ravaged instead of the sheep. Jesus is committed to you. He'll take it on himself because he is the faithful shepherd who never abandons you. Jesus continues in verse 15, and he says this. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The last thing we see about Jesus in this passage is that He is the risen shepherd who willingly dies for the sheep, defeats death and rises to life. Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life and he lets the wolves, the robbers and the thieves take him instead of taking you. When you get the power of Jesus' sacrifice in your bones, it changes you. This reminds me of a man named Maximilian Kolbe. Maximilian Kolbe was a Franciscan friar who lived during the time of World War II. He could have earned privileges from the Nazis if he had agreed to stop publishing religious texts, but he refused and he said absolutely not. And not only did he refuse to stop publishing the religious texts, he began writing books and essays that were increasingly critical of the Nazis and what they were doing. See, due to this, the Nazis invaded the monastery, and in 1941, his monastery was shut down. He was arrested by the Gestapo, and he was taken to Auschwitz death camp. So it was only a few months while he was in there until 10 prisoners successfully escaped from Auschwitz. And obviously the Nazis are not having that, right? They're furious. And so they say, we need to do something to deter another escape attempt. And so they say, we're going to make an example out of some of these prisoners. And so they choose the same number of men who escaped. They choose 10 men from camp in order to be put to death, that they would die by starvation in an underground bunker. And so as they're choosing the 10 men to be put to death, one of the men cries out and he says, please, please spare my life. I have a wife, I have kids, please spare my life. He's trying to appeal to the common humanity in the Nazi guards. But Maximilian overhears this. He steps up to the Nazi officers. He says, please, let this man live. Take my life instead. Please let this man live and take me instead. I will die so that this man may live. And so the Nazis do what he asks. The Nazis take Maximilian Kolbe and they put him to death by starvation in an underground bunker. The man whose life was spared lived to be 93 years old. And he told everyone everywhere about the man who sacrificed himself so that he could live. So when you hear a story like this, we say that it's not just noble what Maximilian did. It's not just honorable, but we say that it is beautiful. That that kind of sacrifice for someone is beautiful. See, and it gives us a glimpse of another man who said, take my life instead of theirs. It gives us a glimpse of Jesus, the shepherd who willingly sacrificed himself for you and for you, and for you, and for you, and for every single one of us. See, he doesn't flee when danger comes. He doesn't run and hide, but he steps forward, just like Maximilian, to face death. His life wasn't taken from him. He gave it freely. He laid down his life, as he says in verse 17 and 18 here. He laid it down so that he would... Take it up again. That Jesus was not dragged to the cross unwillingly, but yet he dragged his cross on his back willingly so that you could live. But here's the thing. Sheep are in serious trouble if they've got a dead shepherd. Because the wolves are coming for them next right? They're about to be dinner for the wolves. Your shepherd was just the appetizer. You're about to be dinner. Sheep are in serious trouble if their shepherd is dead because death is coming for them next. Church, we don't have a dead shepherd. Death is not coming for us next. It's what we celebrated last week on Easter. Jesus is not dead. Our shepherd is alive. See, and if he's alive, that means he has defeated death. See, he dies so that he could take his life up again, so that death would not have the last word. But in his rising, death is now defeated because he has life, we have life. You and I have life because he lives. And this means that Jesus was not just a good shepherd that we talk about who lived in the past. Jesus is the good shepherd who lives today, which means he is our good shepherd. And he's not just our good shepherd, but he is the beautiful shepherd. Because this same word for good can be translated beautiful. Jesus is our beautiful shepherd, not in physical appearance, but in attractiveness of who he is and what he does. That in the same way we say what Maximilian Colby did was beautiful, Jesus' love compels you. When you see your shepherd and who he is, it is beautiful and it compels you as it should. See, when you hear him call your name, you want to come. When you feel and experience how he is with you and how he never abandons you, you want to be with him that much more. And when you realize that he died in your place, that he died so that you could live, you want to follow him wherever he goes because the beauty of Jesus compels us. It creates a longing in us to be his sheep that we desire to be his sheep, to be in his presence, to experience his protection, to experience his faithfulness and to experience his life. See, Jesus, our good shepherd, has saved us from something far worse than wolves, robbers, and thieves. Jesus has saved us from Satan, sin, death, and the powers of evil. And so As we come to communion this morning, these elements represent our our good shepherd who has willingly sacrificed himself for us. That it is through his body given and his blood shed that we're enabled to be his sheep. That we can enter his fold because of his body given and his blood shed. You take the bread. The bread represents... Our shepherd's body who stood in the gap for us and his body was ravaged instead of ours. Take and eat. And the juice represents our shepherd's blood that was shed for us. That is his ravaged body that created the blood that washes us clean from our sins and makes us spotless lambs. Take and drink. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our good shepherd. Jesus, you're not a shepherd in the past, but you are alive and we thank you that you have defeated death and that you are our shepherd. We thank you, Jesus, that you are protective and you protect and provide for your sheep, that you are faithful and you never abandon us and that you are alive, that you are the risen shepherd. And Lord, with that, I know, Lord, that we all have wounds from the hired hand, Lord, from people who have abandoned us, who have not been there for us, Lord. And some of us here, even now, are experiencing the the pain. It's the Band-Aid that's ripped off of that wound. And Jesus, I pray that your presence would draw near, that you would comfort. Jesus, that you are the only one who can ever bring healing. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister to those who are hurting right here in this moment. We thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you that you've invited us to be your sheep in your fold. Jesus, we are grateful. It's in your name, amen.